Hallelujah. Well, do things just a little bit different. I'll get to my text here in just a moment. But I would like for us to pray over today's message. I want God to reach down and touch us. Not just in this message, but in this day. Because we plan to come back again tonight to worship God. And I want God to continue to move throughout this day. So His presence is felt. Souls are saved. No telling what God can do in a service like today. Amen. Let's lift our hands and magnify Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity to be in Your house. God, we ask You to reach down and touch each and every one of us. Touch our hearts and our minds. God, it's for Your glory, none of our own. We ask You, Master, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I will get to my text here in just a moment. The word together is powerful. The simplicity of it is often overlooked and what that word really means. Sometimes it's lost and being spoiled or even underappreciated. But together shows that you are not going to do something alone. At Webster's, it defines it as in company, in the same place living together, abiding together, you are not in this by yourself. And in the times we live in today, families have not been able to get together. Some have. We have families that have not been able to get together for some period of time. In our family, we have relatives, grandparents that we have not been able to see due to constraints of borders and limitations of governments allowing borders to be open. And we miss them dearly. And reunions are beautiful as well. However, they can be marred by what occurred during times of being alone. You may have memories of someone the last time that you were together with them, but then you see them years later, and you say, oh my, how they have changed. Sometimes it's for the good, sometimes it's for the bad. And we have those things that enter into our mind. Our lives are mixed with influences. And there are so many of them, whether they come from people, culture, or experiences, they change you. And as a parent, uh, you want your children to be a product of your best environment. Not of your worst times, but of your best times. And as a parent, there are times when you may see a behavior come out in your child and you think, oh my, they're acting just like their mother again. And it happens quite frequently in our house. But it's always for the good. It's always for the good. Amen. Never for the negative in our house. Amen. But we have those influences, and as we walk through paths of life, you see negative influences, whether your children go to this school or start off with this job. You can read your children, your family, people around you, as they begin to go through times of their life, as they begin to mature and they begin to live for God. You see that, oh, they're praying like brother so-and-so, or they're preaching like this, or they're teaching a Bible study like this person, and they begin to pick up the attributes of the church. 
you realize they're not in this alone, but they are in the kingdom of God together. And for some, this word has a more impactful meaning. Yet in this mixing bowl of life, lives are void of fulfillment. Even though we have people here in the sanctuary and you have families that may have arrived together, the state of their spiritual condition, the state of their mind does not often reflect that of the group. They are in a state of being alone. Some may have walked through life by themselves, do not have immediate family around them, and they always feel alone. But the word alone, it can be a daunting word. For some, this word may resonate within their spirit in different ways. If you're a teenage boy, and all of a sudden you realize responsibility has been placed upon you, and you realize that I've had every opportunity to do this task or be in this setting by myself or with, with my father and mother doing this, but now all of a sudden they say, why don't you go do this? And you realize it's all on you. Sometimes those freedoms are welcomed, like when you get your driver's license and they say, we're out of bread. And you're like, I'll go get it. And you're willing to go embrace that time and jump in the family vehicle and run up to the grocery store and come out and, you know, you're proud of yourself and what you've done and look at me all by myself as you get back in the minivan and drive back home. You're all proud of yourself. Have you ever been alone by yourself and you hear a noise that indicates otherwise? It is those noises that should not be there that make you take great pause. Much like that of a prairie dog, when you hear a noise, you're looking for that eagle in the sky and you freeze and you're listening with your ears and your eyeballs. When is something going to strike? And you're in your own house your own living room, but then there's something that made you just freeze. And you're like, what was that? I'm supposed to be alone. It's in those moments that you realize you are a finely tuned machine that can mortally attack and cause great affliction and even death if needed. And you can evade the skillfulest of ninjas with ease. But then you realize you are trapped in this body that looks like a marshmallow. And you realize, I'm going down. And that is when your mind says, if I can't see them, they can't see me. And you have these thoughts that run through your head, am I really going to die in this outfit? And why does this have to happen when I'm in the shower? And if I run through the house screaming my head off, will they run away? And if it was not for you being alone, you would have all these thoughts and emotions race through your mind. But when there's someone there that says, oh, it's nothing. It's just the neighbor's cat getting in the trash again. And everything de-escalates. But it's because you're alone that your mind begins to go a hundred miles an hour and go all the way to the worst condition possible. And the next thing you know, you have escalated everything in your mind all for trash. 
But there is something of comfort whenever you're sitting there and you realize everything's going to be okay. For me, there's been times I used to travel quite a bit, and there's times I'll be flying in the jet, and it's them little bitty prop jobs coming into some small town in the middle of nowhere, and I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, if I get on the ground, I'm driving home. I'll never set foot in a plane again. Now, this is just me. Sometimes this is what I'll do. But when I get on, and Sister Goff always says this happens, but if I go somewhere, I'm always going to find someone I know. I always run into somebody that I know from work, from life, anywhere. I'm going to see someone, recognize them. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on a plane, and that thing looks like it's about to come out of the air. I'm like, God, you know, this person's on the plane. This person's on the plane. This person's on. You're not going to let this thing go down. And I console myself because I realize there's other apostolics sitting on this plane and we're not going down. And everything is all right again. Now some of this may sound a bit extreme, but if you are that 15-year-old boy staying home by yourself for the first time and your mother says, hey, I'm going to run to the store and you hear that noise and before you know it, you're sliding across the kitchen floor. you got camo paint on your face and a butter knife with peanut butter still on it in your teeth. And you're looking for that enemy and you realize it's just mom walking in and she's got a loaf of bread in her hand. And everything is going to be okay once again. Everything is restored back and everything that was wrong is right. But then when we get to our spiritual condition, we struggle with this because... You can have a preacher get up and preach the message and say everything's going to be okay. Oh, no, it's not. And you convince yourself contrary to what the word that God has given for you, and you convince yourself it's not going to happen that way. It's not my lot. I don't deserve this. God has given a word for you. You need to receive it. And so today I would like to deliver a message that God laid on my heart Together, God is with us. Can we stand for the reading of our text? Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Very familiar in this time and season. And if you were not in an apostolic church, you would probably be hearing a lot of people talk about Advent Sunday, the Sunday of December. But we're in a church that preaches truth, and we're going to talk about the Savior, as you well know, in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 9 and 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the Word of God. Bible scholars have labeled this prophecy, if you read it in Isaiah chapter 7, 8, 9, you read through this prophecy and you understand it's quite complicated. And they've labeled this prophecy as one of the most complicated to wade through. And so I'm going to just go ahead and throw this out there. We ain't even going to touch it. We're just going to read these passages of scriptures, reference a few things, and move on. We'll come back to an additional passage, if God permits, throughout this message that he has laid on my heart. But we'll read that there was a sign that was given of the coming Messiah. And as the word was prophesied through Isaiah, 
there was an eternal promise at stake. And in the passages leading up to this, we see the prophecy of Emmanuel was the sign that was not even asked for by the king that the prophecy was given. We see in Isaiah chapter 7, we see it talk about King Ahaz. In Isaiah 7 and verse 10, it says, Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. That's interesting because right after this passage of Scripture is our text. We talk about a promise that was given. You would think that by reading this is a simple act of piety on the act of King Ahaz. But that is not the case. Reading over, we'll find in 2 Kings chapter 16, we find that the Bible states that King Ahaz had already stripped the house of God of gold and silver. He had already took all of that out of the house of the king and had given it unto a king that he was looking to come in and provide some assistance of the Assyrians. We find this in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 7 and 8. And we see where it says, So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant, am thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. We see that King Ahaz was brazen in his response to the word of the Lord and really was feigning piety. The response was one of disbelief that the Lord would deliver them from the enemy. He's saying, I don't want to ask because he will be found wanting. In other words, I don't believe the Lord can do it. When we get to the text of today's Message, Emmanuel, God with us. The verse of Scripture tells the name of the coming Messiah and the one that would save everyone from their sin. And it says, And therefore the Lord himself shall give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this child would not be limited to the fleshly acts of this world but he instead would deliver the promise of the Heavenly Father, one that loved the world so much that he would robe himself in flesh and step down among us in this life and live and suffer as we. What a Savior. Because he spoke it all into existence. He spoke suffering. He spoke rejection. He spoke pain. He even spoke Calvary into existence so he would have a place to come and die. We see those passages of Scripture. Uh, pastor even preaches the message about it in Psalms chapter 22, referencing about the song that they would sing about the, the crucifixion of the Savior, the soon coming Messiah. We see it referenced throughout Scripture that one would come and save us from our sins. 
But it came not just to step in and wash away the sins, but he came in to be great. He came into this life, into our life, and walk among us for him to be great among every problem we could ever have in life. In Isaiah chapter 9 and 6, as we read in our text, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He was coming to do something great. It wasn't just to be ordinary, but he came to do something extraordinary among us. That story is not one that is just read as something that happened in the past. Yes, it's factual. It's truth. It's stated fact. It's in the Bible. It's referenced there for our purposes. But it's one that lives even to this day. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And as we sing about it today, He's everything that we need. Whether that is we are alone and we team up with Him, and then it becomes a together. Because when you add God to the equation, it is, as we sang the song, He is the Prince of Peace. The other day, was going through and something was weighing so tremendously heavy on my mind and I could not sleep and was laying there and the house was all quiet and everybody had fallen asleep and it was late into the morning and could not sleep and I remember I just laid there and closed my eyes and I said God I need your peace right now I need you to step into the midst of this storm right now And it was as if someone had laid another blanket on top of me and his peace just come down and settled in. You can't get that from any bottle, any other book, any other building. Nobody else can do that for you. But his peace, his great peace, he came so that I could have that. He died so that you could have that. It wasn't just a one-time event. I can call upon his peace at any time, and it's there. It all depends on how we react when the plan is presented to us. We see where King Ahaz had something given to him, and his response was, as you read it at the surface, as we said, it's one of piety, one of... uh, No, no, I don't want to put God to the test. Just give me the word. And I have enemies, but I also have this deal that I'm working here with the Assyrians. And he didn't want to lean into the plan and accept it. However, in Matthew, we find there was a plan presented to Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1. And for the sake of time, I'll try to keep some of these verses of Scripture as short as possible. But in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, the angel of the Lord is speaking unto Joseph in a dream, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22, now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, 
Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, God with us. Now Joseph was given a glimpse into this plan. You see, the situation was one of very unique and dire in their day. You see, Mary was with child. We find that uh, things just weren't quite up to the cultural standards in this situation. We find that they had not even been together, and all of a sudden Mary is with child. And we see that Joseph is struggling with this in his mind and trying to understand and reconcile all of this and trying to do the right thing. And he's presented a plan for him to react and go in accordance with the plan. And and through reading scripture, we find that he does. He takes her as his wife. We see where Mary was presented with the plan in Luke chapter 1 in verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. The Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the power of the highest, I'm sorry. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, She hath conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And we see the response from Mary is absolutely beautiful. Instead of wishing this on someone else, she accepted her role in the plan, and she responds in the very next verse, and Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. She did not respond, if I could say, as the same as King Ahaz. She didn't try to feign piety of, you're going to tell me that I'm going to have a child and his name will be called Jesus. You pick the name for me. And you're going to tell me all the great things that he is going to do. I don't deserve this. Go to someone else. But instead, she says, I'll be the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. Her spirit was one of willingness to serve and to be a part of the plan that God had laid out for her. And we are benefactors of this today. We see the comforter was handed to the world through the establishment of the church in the book of Acts. And the promise was poured out to those that obeyed the instructions of Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection. But we get to where Jesus here on earth, walking in the flesh, in the dual nature of God, begins to speak 
in John chapter 14. And he says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, and that he may abide with you forever. You can read on in other verses of Scripture, a few more, where it talks about, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you. The plan that God has laid out for this world, in the turmoil that we sit in today, it is such that it is oftentimes difficult to even go to a news website and try to read through because of all the chaos and the onslaught of sin and the evil that so possesses people to do just horrific things. And you read this and you don't feel any better. And I found myself where I've had to just say, I'm done. I can't even handle the headlines. I don't even need to read the articles. I can't even bear to read the atrocities that has happened in the last 24 hours or 72 hours. It's just that bad. Have I lost hope? No. Because I have a comforter that is with me. That helps me in those times of alone because it's when we read things, it's when we observe things, when we're the product of people doing things unto us that we feel so all alone that we convince ourselves there is no hope. There is no hope. I might as well go ahead and give up. And it's in those moments of being alone that if we but lean upon that still, small voice that's not going to sit in the room with us and boom down, thundering from heaven and wake us and stir us, but it's just going to be, why don't you pray? Why don't you grab your word, grab the word of God and open the Bible and, or just turn scripture on and just listen to the word. And it takes all of that turmoil and it turns it upside down and presents peace back into your life but our flesh feeds on that turmoil because our flesh doesn't have a voice without chaos because it can step into our life and convince us everything that is right is wrong and everything that it wants to achieve and accomplish it can step into the midst of our problems and say there is no hope but how many times does it take us just doing one simple thing and it turns the situation around? It's not that we are handed immediate victory. It's that we get our mind out of the funk of whatever's trying to push us down even further. But the moment of just the slightest of resistance, when you say, God, I love you, Master, and all of a sudden you feel weight just start shifting off your mind. And you say, I am going to go to the house of God today. I am going to be in church today. I am going to commit to myself that I will go to the house of God. I will get down on my knees and pray. But if the devil can but keep you suppressed, and he can say, oh, just like the king, I've given all the gold and silver, and you feel like you have nothing left, that's what God needs, for you to have nothing, so he can be everything in your life. I remember as a young person, 
growing up in church, sitting through no telling how many powerful services, revival services and conferences and camp meetings and did not have the Holy Ghost. And I've referenced this time after time, but I still have this image vividly burned within my mind. I remember as a 13-year-old boy standing there, I was on the second pew from the front visiting another church of a pastor in Arkansas. My parents were down there preaching some services for this pastor. And as the word began to come forth and I stood there, my hands were gripping the pew in front of me. My knuckles were just pure white because I did not want to give in. And you can say, what is it that a 13-year-old young man would have that would not be readily given unto God? I can only answer it in this simple phrase. It was my will. For me to give up everything. That's what I had to give up. Everything. You see, this promise that God has given unto us in His Word requires that we give everything so that we may have everything. That was something that I wrestled with for year after year. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old that God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And it's because I finally surrendered everything to Him. It was because I decided nothing in this life was worth it. Now, I had been able to successfully in my mind play the part. I had been able to go to camp in Arizona with my Aunt Barbara at 13. I was able to go to Miltonville camp when I was 14. Go back to Miltonville camp when I was 15. But when I went back to camp when I was 16, it was different. I was no longer just trying to blend in and shuck and jive with everybody. It was my face that was planted in the dirt or the carpet there and pouring my heart out to God and had pastor come up and pray for me and preacher pray for me. But you can play the part as long as you want. But when you take off the costume and say, God, dress me as you would dress me. Feel me as you would feel me. Have me do what you would have me do because I'm tired of being all alone because in these times of being alone, my mind has went a hundred different directions. I thought, I thought, but it's when I said, my will, I give it to you, God. It's whenever he steps in and he said, my son, together, you can do all things. Why? Because it's Him that's speaking to me. It's those things. Jesus Christ is the one who steps in and says, I told you I would not leave you comfortless. I told you. Reading on in John chapter 14 and verse 26, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and will bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. You see, Jesus had already laid the foundation for the Holy Ghost to come and save those that were hungry. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it 
be afraid. And I don't know how anyone in this life without the Holy Ghost, without being baptized in Jesus' name, living according to the plan that the Word of God has laid out, can feel peace. Because as a child of God, if I can look at things that are just going crazy in this world and it smote me and say, God, is this the last days? I can only imagine what's going through somebody's mind that doesn't know the peace speaker, doesn't know that there's a comforter, has not had an opportunity to walk through the back doors of a church. I know everything's going to be okay because God is with us. He's real. It's not just a story. John chapter 16 and verse 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. He's saying, listen, it's best that I leave. In order for you to get what I told you I was going to give you, I got to go. I can't stay here. We like to hang on to those comfort things. We like to cleave to those things that, well, I do this, I hold this, I have this, because it makes me feel comfortable. I can't remember one of the girls was saying the other day about uh, adults, uh, what was it, three out of four people or a majority of people still sleep or have something that has something that has emotional significance to them and still have it in their possession, and whether it be a blanket, a pillow, a stuffed animal, or whatever it may be. It's all about trying to relate and have comfort in those times when everything is going wrong in your life. You reach out and you grab something and you try to have something that gives you peace. But the thing is, the world gives you no peace. It lies. Every time it even feigns peace, it's a lie. Reminded of a story. My uncle, he was somewhat of a jokester and my aunt was one that worried about a lot of things and every time a storm would come she would always just get absolutely worked up and some of you may know her she's still alive my aunt louise calvert and he finally one day says listen louise nothing is going to happen and she says, I'm so worried that I'm just going to get struck with lightning. I am so petrified. And he says, listen, here's how you can fix this problem. If you will hold this piece of plastic, lightning can't touch you. And she grabbed it and held on to it. And she went to sleep. And time goes on. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, many weeks, months later, another storm comes through. All of a sudden... My uncle says she jumps out of bed and she's just ripping the dresser apart. And he's like, Louise, what are you doing? She's like, I'm trying to find something. He's like, what are you looking for in the middle of the night? She's like, I'm looking for my piece of plastic so I don't get struck by lightning. And you just roll over and go right back to bed is what you do as a husband. But the devil does that very same thing. If you will do this, I will give you that and it's not peace it's not a comforter but jesus says listen i've told you what i gotta give you and the only way it's gonna happen is if i depart so jesus in his last few moments on earth you got to think about this 
This has been preached countless times. We're going to use one of the principles that we talked about the other day, about the law of first mention. We're going to look about it in Luke chapter 24, if you'll turn there. We see where Jesus in his last few moments here on earth took the time to tell them exactly what was going to happen. In Luke 24 and verse 45, it says, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. What we find here is Jesus gathering his disciples and presenting the plan. He's saying, you're a part of the plan. You're going to execute the plan. The plan is the word of God. You can go read John 1 and 1. There was a plan from the very beginning, from the very foundation of the world, there was a plan. And the plan was speaking to his disciples. And then he opened their understanding. He revealed to them saying, listen, I've got to go somewhere and I'm going to give you instructions. And in those instructions, you have to deliver. It says in 48, ye are witnesses of these things. You see, this is right before the very end of uh, John chapter, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24, where he goes up and ascends into heaven. They had just watched Jesus be beaten, crucified, and then rose again to present himself to the disciples. Something worth noting, and we have this in our Bible class with Elder Paget, and it caught my attention. He says, Calvary did not require Judas to die. He only had to betray. He was given a choice. Just like Peter sinned, Judas sinned. Judas was given a choice. Peter sinned. The Bible says that he was going to sin three times. He did so three times, but yet he found a place of repentance. Judas betrayed Jesus, and he was only needed for the betrayal. That was all that Calvary technically needed. It was just so he would be Jesus would be turned over to be crucified. And we see that the plan was presented to different people throughout Scripture. And as the disciples hear the plan presented to them from Jesus, they said, we're going to do the plan. We're not in this by ourselves. We're going to do according to what he has said. They accepted the mission. We know this because the Bible tells us exactly what they did. And I know many of you could quote these verses of Scripture, but I say them for a reason, because God is trying to speak to somebody's heart and present them a plan. 
but they have the opportunity to accept or reject. It's all a matter upon your response. But we find the disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. Jesus had just ascended up into heaven. In verse 12, then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they come in, who is they? So all of them, all of the apostles had been there with Jesus and been instructed what to do. They all went and they came in and went to the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. All of them that received the instruction from Luke chapter 24 ended up in Jerusalem. It was because they all believed in the plan. They all believed in the instruction that God had given unto them. You see, in Acts chapter 2, we've read this verse of Scripture countless times. But in Acts chapter 2, it talks about what happened when they obeyed the plan. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That was a part of the plan. They were there because the plan said, go there. He says, listen, I have to leave but I'm going to come back as the comforter. You will not be alone. The word of God says, I will call into remembrance everything that I've spoken unto you. So just because Jesus ascends into heaven, he's no longer walking through the streets of Jerusalem, preaching and teaching. He then commissioned his followers with the plan. And it was because they followed the plan it's because we have the plan today. The plan of salvation. It's because they obeyed it. We have it. How many people are waiting on you to do the plan? How many people are waiting on you to follow the word of God? How many people are waiting on you to step out and say, I believe? How many people are waiting on you to come teach a Bible study? Share your testimony. Reach out to that lost and dying world. How many people are waiting alone? And you are the conduit for there to be an Emmanuel God with us. How many people are waiting today? All alone. The things your mind's been set free from. The things, the addiction you've laid at God's feet and says, take them away from me. The things that, that compile your testimony. And some love to tell their testimony and some don't. There's skeletons in our closet and we don't like to think back at those times. But God has us share those moments. So one, we appreciate the togetherness with Him. And we embrace the plan. And we say, if I don't follow the plan, I've heard many times my entire life, 
Those sins are going to come back many times over and consume me. Those are not threats. Those are facts. But we have to be obedient to the plan. Now, the apostles could have just said, okay, we've got received instructions. We've went to the place. I have experienced it. Now I'm good. But that is not what happened. There was action to the plan. Because there was something so great that had been shared with them. And they had experienced something so wonderful. Regardless of how many times they had walked with Jesus supped with him, watched miracle after miracle. You know what they did? They turned around and preached Jesus. They preached the plan. Now, granted, they did talk about miracles at times. They talk about seeing the dead raised and healings and things happening. The Bible tells us, it's written in the scripture, that there's not enough volumes and the earth cannot contain all that had happened in the ministry of Jesus But there's something that was so impactful. Those words of the plan were far greater than any miracle that ever happened. That the first thing they get up and preach about is the plan of salvation. They don't say, follow me because I was an observer of Jesus Christ. Or I walk with him and we slept and prayed in the garden and all these things and all the who you know and the things I've seen. But it was, no, he told me about something that will change your life. In Acts chapter 2 and 14, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He doesn't say anything about a miracle. He doesn't say anything about all the things that Jesus done when all of those of fleshly eyes just looked in awe and stood there and watched him teach and preach and do miracles and heal the sick. But he says, listen, there's a Messiah. There's a promise. There's a comforter. Something is going to happen where I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. They shared the plan. They gave and laid out the plan before them. And the result of it is the birth of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We see the New Testament church rise up from ashes of just seeing and observing and feeling to then become the New Testament church because they believed in the plan. We know this because in Acts chapter 32 and verse 37, now when they heard this, they heard what? They heard the plan. They heard Christ being preached. They heard about the hope of the coming comforter. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That is the appropriate response to the plan. The king didn't respond that way. He had his own thing going on. And many times people come to the house of God 
and they don't respond appropriately because there's too much at stake for them to give everything. They feel like I've got to give up so much of what I've worked my entire life to have to possess. And you don't realize that's the whole reason you have things in your life is so you have something to lay down at his feet and say, I'm done with it all. I don't want anything to do because life can get us to the place to where we get spoiled so much so that it competes for church. It competes for peace. We try to reconcile these things in our mind and we say, you know, I don't feel like I should, but I get to go do this on a regular basis. I get to do my own thing. And there's a lot of I statements. But the plan only has Jesus Christ in it. And the I that we have in our plan must be laid down. Because the statement that they made in verse 37 was one of, what shall we do? Not one of, but what about all of this that I have before me? What about the life that I'm going to have to lay down? They said, no, I believe in the plan so much. What do I have to do? Now, we know this is true, what Peter says, because it states it in verse 38. But the plan that Jesus Christ gave unto the apostles in Luke chapter 24 was the plan because he says, I want you to repent for the remission of sins and the promise of the Father. We find that very same plan was shared in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. You see, Peter was not the first one to preach repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 24. That was the first mention. He was the one who opened their understanding. Peter just repeated what Jesus had given unto him. Because then Peter said unto them, Repent, Jesus already said that, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that. And for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said that. For the promise, what promise? The promise of the plan. The one that Jesus had spoken in Luke chapter 24. The one he said the comforter will come time after time after time. They were coming up with this for the very first time. They heard the plan, they accepted the plan, and they preached the plan. The plan of salvation did not originate in Acts chapter 2. It was repeated because they heard and accepted the plan of salvation. And this promise. I'm so glad this verse of scripture is in here. Because I remember hearing my grandparents stand up and testify and quote this very scripture. And I sat there as a young child saying, it's for me too. Because for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That means that plan that was preached about back then is available today. And we're not originating. It's not new. We're repeating the same plan. Now some... As we go back, I said I would try to hit this if I can. We have a few moments left. I'll try to go through it. 
We'll go back and look. You don't have to get there. I'll read the verse of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 8. It says, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over and then shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of the land. O Emmanuel. This is the following chapter where it talks about the prophecy of the coming Messiah. Talking about Emmanuel, God with us. What I find interesting is in the prophecy it talked about the enemy is going to come in and destroy But he says, don't lose hope because there is a prophecy of a coming son, Emmanuel. What I find interesting, the Lord used the visual of the coming enemy, the floods that would, the waters that would flood at coming in. They are so strong that they will go up to every bank and they will go out of them and exceed them and go all the way up to the necks of the men. When all hope seems lost, That's where the enemy is going to take you to the last straw. And it seems like I am getting ready to take my last breath. And the very act of looking around seems like all hope is lost. But the prophecy stated there would be an enemy that would come. It would be victorious over them. However, it would only be there for a certain season. Because the Messiah had to come. He's saying, listen, I have plans for these cities. I have a man who has to walk these soils. They're going to come in and destroy and do things, and you're going to feel like you have lost every ounce of hope. But don't lose hope. Messiah's coming. And the hundreds of years later after this prophecy, we find, we find an angel of the Lord appearing unto Mary and saying, you're going to have a child. And Emmanuel, God with us, will arrive on the scene. You see, the enemy that had come in and ravaged the lands was pushed away so the Messiah could come. Don't take the approach of King Ahaz and turn to help on your own. But lean on his everlasting arms. And God, the one who walks in victory, was coming in to heal their land. And that very same God is coming to heal your land today. And you may feel that this morning that you have lost all hope. You have failed God. The story is not over. You may feel like I can never do anything good in the kingdom. I'm only doing what others see around me and perceive me as being good. But when I'm all alone, I realize I'm not where I should be with God. Reminded of a passage of Scripture as they come to the music in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. You know, the beautiful part of that is you can apply that all understanding in the situation you're at right now. When the peace of God sweeps in over the turmoil that you're going through right now. When the peace of God steps into your life and you feel like all hope is lost and you feel His peace. It shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It doesn't say through Douglas Goff. 
It says through Christ Jesus. Who is he? He's the plan. It's only if you yield to the plan that you have peace. Don't do the approach of King Ahaz and say, I'll just go to church and go through some motions. But Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for the sins of the world. Just like Ahaz wasn't asking for a sign, myself, I was not asking for a sign. Well, there's an old song that says, while he was on the cross, I was on his mind. My sins demanded a sign. Your sins demanded a sign. It was not out of pride. It was not out of false piety. But as out of my flesh knows without him, I am nothing. Without the sacrifice of Calvary, I am nothing. He wasn't asked to go to suffer for my sins, but he did. And Jesus sacrificed himself so that I and you and all could be a part of the plan. Can we stand this morning? Last verse of Scripture, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name. Emmanuel, which being interpreted, God with us. Can we lift our hands and ask Him to touch our hearts and our minds today? The needs in this house only He knows. Can we talk to Him and lift our voices, saints of God? Only God knows. Only the plan knows what's needed in this service. Hallelujah. Can we talk to Him?